0: The Chief Zone podcast is back. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Chief Zone podcast on iTunes. I'm Farazine Vasugian. Sorry I've been away for the past couple of weeks. I meant to get out a, a podcast a couple of weeks ago, but got way too busy. August was just a really uh, incredibly busy month for me uh, personally. Uh, I tried to do one last week, of course, uh, after a, such a hectic month when I have some time, Uh, I get sick and I'm unable to do the podcast, so I missed a couple of preseason games to uh, touch on with you guys, but that's okay. Nonetheless, we'll still move on and uh, do the podcast. Well, I'll talk a little bit about the preseason and what had happened, but for the most part, we're just going to move on and discuss Kansas City's 53-man roster going into the 2016 NFL season. I know a lot of you guys are really excited about it. Uh, as the Chiefs, is, this is Andy Reid's fourth year with the football team And I, I think expectations are high And you, you guys have already heard my thoughts About what I think is going to happen with this team You guys know I'm not as optimistic as most Chiefs fans And the media going into this season for Kansas City uh, But I'll give you guys my prediction As to how many games the Chiefs will win uh, Later this week on on, uh, on a different episode of the podcast But still, at the end of the day, I think everyone's expectations as to what should happen are very high. You know, it's your fourth year. The NFL has changed so much, in sports too, and I don't know if it's because of social media or what the case is, but nowadays in sports, you see coaches, they all have a short leash. There's no excuses these days. Even if the franchise or a college program, if they're really low and there's a lot of uh, ground to, to pick up with this team, they're, they're, there's just not a lot of room or a lot of time that'll be given. Fans are very impatient. Look, you've, you've got to put butts in seats. And fortunately for the Chiefs, with Andy Reid ever since he's been here, the Chiefs have been above 500 for three consecutive years, something we have not seen since Marty Schottenheimer was the head coach in Kansas City in the 90s. So that's something that I'm taking into consideration going into Andy Reid's fourth year with Kansas City because not a lot of coaches these days have the opportunity to even last three full years and then go into their fourth season with a team. Of course, Andy Reid was hired in 2013 and only 11 other NFL head coaches were hired before him who are still with their current team. I'll read you the list real quickly. Belichick in in order. Belichick, Marvin Lewis, Mike McCarthy, Sean Payton, Mike Tomlin, John Harbaugh, Jason Garrett, Pete Carroll, Ron Rivera, Chuck Pagano, and Jeff Fisher. There are... Four coaches, including Reed, who were hired in 2013 and and still with their team. Now, of course, there are always a lot of hirings every year in the NFL, and that number shrinks really quickly. Those four coaches who are still hired with the teams that they were hired by in 2013, of course, Reed, Mike McCoy with the Chargers, Jim Caldwell with the Lions, and Gus Bradley with or pardon me, not Jim Caldwell, Gus Bradley with the Jaguars, and Bruce Arians with the Arizona Cardinals. So those are the four head coaches who were hired in 2013 that are still with their respective teams. And again, to be in the top half, basically, like I said, only 11 other head coaches before 2013 were hired and still with their football teams. Uh, If you want to include those four coaches who are who were hired in 2013 i mean they're basically in the top half in the nfl when it comes to tenured with their current teams and listen here in kansas city we haven't had much of that herm edwards only lasted three years todd haley close to three years and Romeo Cornell, I I don't even want to remember that year with just a disaster of a season coaching wise. And so far Andy Reid's made those three head coaches a long distant memory. Something that this franchise has needed for a while. Dick Vermeil, yes, he he wasn't here very long, but it's not like he was fired. Of course he, he 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 retired, so it's not like he left the team on bad terms in terms of his coaching duties. Hi Farzine Vesugia, and thanks a lot for listening to another episode of the Chiefstone Podcast. Uh, love the interaction uh, with you guys on social media. Despite the show uh, going on, on hiatus for a couple of weeks, you, you guys still were awesome on social media. Uh, really appreciate you guys doing that. As always, follow me on Twitter at Farzine21, and also give my Facebook page a like, facebook.com slash FarzineVesugia. Let's keep this interaction going. Uh, ...throughout the week as we get ready for games going into Sundays... ...and then, uh, of of course, before, during, and after games on game days. Uh, I've done this in the past uh, since 2009, I believe. That's when social media uh, started to grow and there were Facebook pages being made. And, of course, Twitter got bigger then. Uh, And it's been a lot of fun. Of course, uh, more and more people getting involved in these kinds of social media interactions. So let's keep that going. I also want to add... One more facet of social media with this podcast. And I want to incorporate Snapchat. This is an idea I'm taking from... Uh, I guess you could call it stealing, depending on how you want to look at it. At least I'm giving credit as to where I got this from. Uh, the Luke Thomas Show on SiriusXM. Huge fan of his show. Which, by the way, I, I, I've i got to rant for just two seconds. I don't like it when people have a radio show or a podcast and they call it the Luke Thomas Show or the Joe Schmo Show. Like, come on, man. Be a little crazy. I think the... Uh, the most popular name for a radio show is The Drive, which there is one in Kansas City. And then there's uh, there's basically the first name, last name show. Like, come on. Be a little creative. You know you can come up with something. People who are in radio these days are supposed to be creative anyway. But anyway, uh, huge fan of The Luke Thomas Show. This is an idea I want to incorporate Uh, with this podcast and that is snapchat you guys can add me farzine v f-a-r-z-i-n-v on snapchat let me know you guys are listening to the podcast with either a photo or a video either way doesn't matter send me that snap and i will personally respond to you with a video snap uh, basically thanking you guys for listening to the podcast and that's another way we can incorporate social media, another uh, social media outlet that we can include with this podcast. So Snapchat, again, be sure you uh, send me a snap. You guys can add me as well, V on Snapchat. All right, look, the, the Kansas City Chiefs, like I said with Andy Reid, expectations are much higher with this football team because it is going to be his fourth year. He survived his first three years. Uh, You had Herm Edwards who couldn't go into his fourth season. Todd Haley, like I said, couldn't even finish his three years with the Kansas City Chiefs. So, Andy Reid. And again, this is excluding postseason games. But Andy Reid is about to pass Herm Edwards for most games coached with the Kansas City Chiefs. Since... Herm Edwards was the head coach. And like I said, I mean, I gave you guys that list. Only 11 head coaches hired before 2013 who are still with their respective franchises. And when I looked that up earlier this week, I thought, I, I definitely thought Andy Reid was lower on that list, but he's tied 12th with three other head coaches. Like I said, I don't know why that's the case so much in the NFL nowadays. So many head coaches being fired. Uh, look, we we live in a world now where fans, they, they put their voice out there with social media, and if they're unhappy, they're going to let the teams know, and they're not going to show up to your football games or buy your merchandise, and let's be honest, uh, owners don't want that. Owners hate to see empty seats at their own stadiums. Of course, the preseason a huge exception because we all know Everyone's mindset with the preseason, even the coaches and the players, somehow head coaches like John Harbaugh wish there weren't even any preseason games. But nonetheless, to be in that position where you, I I guess, nowadays, is being in your fourth year considered long? I mean, to me, no, but I guess with Andy Reid, with the way that things are working now in sports, especially the NFL... I guess that's a uh, th- that's a positive thing, a very positive thing. So take it for what it's worth. Uh, again, I kind of mentioned this in-, in the out of bounds segment uh, last podcast when I compared Michael Phelps. Uh, you know, what's the level of competition he keeps going up against? Maybe it's not much, but it's enough to be ahead of the people that he's beating. Usain Bolt doesn't even look like he's running full speed, but fast enough that he's beating the guys behind him. So the level of competition, I maybe that has changed as well in the NFL these days. Uh, I remember there was a time where there were a lot of long-tenured coaches w- with just one team uh, for a long period of time, and that just doesn't seem to be the case as much these days in the NFL. So let's look at the 53-man roster, because that's what this podcast is primarily about, as the Chiefs made a couple of surprising moves Lately, Marcus Cooper, uh, the cornerback, traded to San Francisco. uh, Something I missed that uh, while the podcast was away, Kenneth Acker was traded for, acquired from San Francisco. uh, And he's made kind of a name for himself a little bit. I think a lot of people were surprised because the Chiefs traded away just a seventh-round pick to the 49ers. And I think it was Tim on Facebook who put it best in, in my opinion. He said... Look, Kenneth Acker, a guy who had three picks last year. It seems like you'll get 10,000 times more production from him than you would from a seventh-round draft pick. Let's be honest. Not many seventh-round draft picks last in the NFL these days. Look at Kevin Hogan. Was drafted before the seventh round by the Kansas City Chiefs and couldn't even make it with the team's roster going into this season. A A lot of players who get drafted on day three of the NFL don't seem to last long these days. Some of them don't even make it into the regular season with their respective team. Some are lucky to even be around for one, even two years. But nonetheless, I I, I agree. Uh, I think trading a 7th round pick for a guy like Kenneth Acker, who showed some some production last year with the 49ers, kind of surprising that's what the Chiefs gave up, but you'll take it. And maybe he can uh, be a reliable guy. Let's start with the defense since we're at it right now. The thing that's so surprising to me with the cornerbacks, the Chiefs have drafted a ton of cornerbacks since 2014, starting with Philip Gaines in the third round. And then last year you got Marcus Peters in the first round, Steven Nelson, the same draft class, but in the third round. And then the Chiefs get Kavari Russell, in the third round this year. And of course you drafted DJ White as well. To be part of your secondary. He'll be uh, at one of the quarterback spots. Uh, at least for right now. And then you trade for Kenneth Acker. Who was drafted in 2014. The Chiefs have a lot of young cornerbacks. On this football team. No true veteran leader really on this football team. Uh, You've got Marcus Peters and Steven Nelson who are, again, on the depth chart, they're listed as the starters. But again, I don't take the depth chart too seriously. I know fans get so excited into that. I know the media, a lot of times, they'll use the depth chart, including me, uh, just to prepare for a football game when they want to study upcoming opponents. But to be honest with you, I I really don't know if that even matters because a lot of times you see coaches mix things up going into... A game anyway, so you never really know if that depth chart is even uh, a valid reflection as, as to how uh, a team will line up to start a game on on game day. But Steven Nelson and Marcus Peters right now are your current starters, according to the depth chart the Chiefs have. And let's be honest. Having two guys, and I know Marcus Peter had a really good season last year, but again, for those who've listened to the the past couple of podcasts, you guys also know that I think Marcus Peter still has a lot to prove. He tied uh, the NFL for most interceptions last year, but again, he, he, he picked off a lot of quarterbacks who really were just, quite frankly, either bad or were second or third string quarterbacks. Didn't really play very well against top-level quarterback. In fact, he allowed eight touchdowns. Seven of them came during that five-game losing streak. When the Chiefs went on that 10-game winning streak, that surge, it was one of the easiest set of teams they went up against. And uh, on top of that, Steven Nelson, a guy who was drafted in the third round last year, you have two guys coming off rookie seasons who are now your starters. I know we saw this before with Brandon Flowers and Brandon Carr who were in fact they were actually rookies and they were the two starters in 2008 now I feel like that duo panned out well in Kansas City now post Kansas City life for those two hasn't been great but while in Kansas City was great it was good for them but again you're not gonna just because it happened before with two guys in a past draft class doesn't mean it's gonna happen again. Uh, I think there's still a lot to see from Steven Nelson. Sean Smith, of course, was on the team last year, so we didn't see much of him last year. Well, we're going to see a lot more probably if he can keep that starting role with the Chiefs. Eric Berry came back, which is good. The Chiefs definitely needed him. Ron Parker, who uh, he he's proven to be a much better safety than a cornerback with the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, you got you got those two guys. Daniel Sorensen, a guy who I was not a big fan of in the preseason in 2014 but he stuck around and has made a name for himself in training camp and in the preseason this year so the Chiefs definitely like what they've seen from him and he's been able to stick around like I said the past couple of years and I think this is his year where he can really prove to uh, be a contributor for this defense. Uh, He's probably going to be active in, in rotation a lot with Eric Berry and Ron Parker this season. So there's your secondary right there for the Kansas City Chiefs. Eric Berry, of course, your your leader right there. Marcus Peters, another guy who, who this team is going to lean on after what he did last year. Uh, so many young guys on the secondary. That, that's kind of a concern to me. Uh, I'll get to the linebackers in a second because I do think that's your best group, even without Justin Houston. But as far as the defensive line, this is one I'm excited to see. Alan Bailey and Jay Howard were phenomenal last year, especially Jay Howard. He really... Uh, rose to the occasion and surprised us. Uh, He was a pleasant surprise last season. And, of course, Dontari Poe wasn't in his Pro Bowl form last year because of the back surgery he had uh, right before training camp. So, hopefully, Dontari Poe can return to his 2013-2014 form where he dominates the offensive line right up the middle and can uh, pretty much occupy and distract multiple linemen, allowing... Uh, the outside linebackers to get through, we'll, we'll we'll get to those guys later, but of course you also have Chris Jones, uh, he was your first draft pick, not your first round pick, but uh, the first player you drafted uh, this year, and it's going to be interesting to see what he, his role is, I, I, I know most second rounders find a starting role that's not really the case with Chris Jones, maybe that changes during the season, we will see. Uh, either poor performance or an injury would would have to allow that for Chris Jones to to get through. Or maybe even he has a surge and has the hot hand and Andy Reid says, hey, look, we've got to start this guy or Jay Howard or Alan Bailey or whoever it may be. But the Chiefs have a big guy in Chris Jones who can definitely uh, disrupt the passer and cause some problems for, for offensive linemen, for, for those blockers there. So I like this defensive line. I think it's a solid defensive line. I think that if, uh, if a lot of NFL head coaches could uh, could pick their top five de- group of defensive linemen, I think the Kansas City Chiefs would definitely be on that list. Which leads me to my linebackers now. Which again, I think this is your best group, but also at the same time, not having Justin Houston can be a bit of a concern. You have Tom Bahali, who was very limited. In training camp this year with the Chiefs. D Ford. Listen, man, I'll say this about D Ford right now. I, I've been the biggest D Ford apologist, it seems like. And I've, al- I've always told people look, it's not his fault he got drafted into a team where there are two premier players at his position in Justin Houston and Tom Haley. Look, I I don't care who you are, man. If you get drafted to a team where they have uh, the same position, two pro bowlers, it's not going to be easy to maintain a starting role. Now, yes, Steve Ford did get involved uh, quite a lot last year with Justin Houston's injury. Had that big game against the San Diego Chargers where he had three sacks. Didn't record another sack the rest of the year, but... Got involved quite a lot in applying pressure on quarterbacks, which is good. I think people need to realize sacks are not the only important thing for a pass rusher. How many quarterback pressures or quarterback knockdowns they get, that's another factor for these outside linebackers and defensive ends. Now, the Chiefs took a big blow when Josh Maga, a guy who is quietly... Been a big contributor for this defense. I know the defense is all about Derek Johnson, Justin Houston, Tom Bahali, Eric Berry, uh, all those guys. Uh, but, but Josh Manga is a guy who's really rose and improved the past couple of years. I remember in 2014, he would close in real quickly on ball carriers, whether it was running backs or pass catchers. Uh, as soon as someone caught the football or, or passed the line of scrimmage, if it was a running play, Josh Maga was so quick to close in and not let those guys get a lot of yards. So last year he, he used his hands a bit more, got a couple of interceptions, had a big interception in the playoffs right before halftime against the Texans where he uh, he, he picked off, I, I don't even remember who it was for the Texans last year, a quarterback, the Texans were just a disaster under center, but uh, came away with the pick preventing the Texans to score when they were in the red zone and uh, got the pick right in the end zone, ran, I think, 19 yards, and that was a big reason as to why the Texans were unable to get any points in that football game. That was a golden opportunity to not only score, but cut the deficit big time right before halftime, and I think that's one thing I'm going to miss with Josh Maga is uh, just the way he contributed to this football team. So that's a huge loss for Kansas City, but at the same time, Justin March is the guy who I remember last year, The coaching staff was really impressed with what he did in training camp. We didn't see it translate to the preseason preseason as much. This year, we finally saw more of him in the preseason. And same with the guy with Daddy Nicholas, who had a very impressive game uh, in in Week 4. Now again, it is Week 4. Uh, of a preseason game, which you know, how seriously can you take those games? I don't know, but the Chiefs uh, felt like it was good enough for him to stay on this football team. And listen, if D, this is the year for D. Ford, he's the primary guy going into Week One because of Justin Houston's recovery from surgery. If D. Ford does not contribute in the first couple of weeks, I know it's a very small window right there. But listen, this was your first round draft pick from 2014. This is a guy who's got to step up, and if he doesn't do that going into the first couple of games of the season, I think Daddy Nicholas might be the guy who gets the starting spot by the time the Chiefs play the Steelers in Week 4. Derek Johnson, we all know what he's about, and I think uh, he's going to be uh, a really important part uh, of this football team Uh He's he's been around for such a long time. Drafted in two thousand five, so he's the guy who he knows. And I, I was listening to one of his interviews on uh, Six Ten. He talked about how you know guys like him, Tom Hally, these guys have been around for a long time and have stayed with this team, and have both both of these guys really improved after, especially after Herm Edwards left. And they know that, that time's running out for these guys. And they want a Super Bowl. These guys have done everything, really. They, they've they been part of AFC West titles. Well, I, I take that back. I, I don't mean to make that plural. They've only won the AFC West once since those two have been here. But they've been to the playoffs multiple times. Finally got a playoff win. Been to the Pro Bowl several times. What's left for these two? It's a Super Bowl. That's it. And I think to me what could hurt this defense is if Tom Bahali's your only pass rusher, maybe the defensive line can step up and fill in for the absence of Justin Houston because, look, if you've got some good defensive ends, even in a 3-4 scheme, it can still go a long ways, and your defensive ends really can be contributors when it comes to pressures and even getting sacks but if that's not the case with this defensive line and if D. Ford cannot produce it's going to be very hard for me to, to trust the secondary very young secondary when they don't have a lot of viable pass rushers up front and I think that's where this defense could really fall apart Switching over to the offense now, I'll just say this about the quarterbacks. Uh, Nothing too surprising from me, Alex Smith, Nick Foles. I know Nick Foles was a candidate to possibly be traded to Dallas or Minnesota because of uh, the voids they have with their quarterbacks and the recent injuries, but I think the Chiefs want to keep Nick Foles, especially for the future because Alex Smith's contract next year gives the Chiefs some leeway as to whether or not they want to trade him or let him go and not take a giant cap hit. Uh, with money there Tyler Bray I'm not too surprised he was he, he he stayed with this football team he did sign a an extension a couple of uh, last year before being placed on IR so the Chiefs I think see something in him Aaron Murray didn't do himself any favors right after being put on the trade block by the Chiefs through uh two picks in the final preseason game and I, I think that was just enough for the Chiefs to say hey look we, we've got to part ways with this guy uh Crazy to know that both him and Casey McDonald, they came to Kansas City together and uh, the same month uh, they left, but uh, not together, uh, unfortunately, for those two. I know I know Casey McDonald's been a big topic for uh, sports fans in Kansas City, but Kevin Ogan, I, I mentioned earlier, uh, a late-round draft pick, but I, I think with so many quarterbacks on this team, there just was, was not enough room. I think he could have made the practice squad had he cl- uh, cleared waivers, but... He did not, so he moved on, and the Chiefs uh, have their three QBs: Smith, Folds, and Bray. I want to go to the offensive line first because that's where offense offenses succeed. If the offensive line is good, I think Eric Fisher is poised for a much better year. I think this could be a Pro Bowl year for Eric Fisher. He improved during 2015, and of course had a big game against. Someone who, who a lot of people might call the best defensive player in the NFL today and J.J. Watt. So Eric Fisher, I've got high expectations from him. I think he's finally going to be the guy. I, I know the 2013 draft class wasn't a great one, but I think he can prove that he is now a quality number one overall guy. Number one overall draft pick. Parker Ennegar drafted in the fourth round this past year. Might get that starting role, kind of similar to Zach Fulton, who was drafted really late in 2014, but ended up starting quite a lot for the Chiefs during his rookie campaign. Mitch Morse, someone who the Chiefs were very impressed with. And knowing what we know now about that 2015 draft class, I think Mitch Morse could easily be a first-round draft pick had we, we done That 2015 draft. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif. Another guy who improved during the 2015 surge the Chiefs had. But again, how much of that is due to the easy schedule. And how much is it is really because of him. And I get it. You need a stepping stone to find a way to improve. So hopefully the Chiefs can build from that. And carry that over when they have a much tougher schedule. I think the most exciting acquisition for the Chiefs. This offseason was Mitchell Schwartz. His brother, of course, played here, uh, coming from the Cleveland Browns. And and listen, I I know he allowed 10 sacks last year, but when you have that quarterback carousel that the Cleveland Browns have had, uh, not just last year, but through the past decade, really, it's hard for offensive linemen to really just be in tune. And, you know, when you have guys like Johnny Menzel who runs around a lot, it's easier to sack a guy like that. You know, you you can be mobile. That's one thing. But if you don't know how to avoid pressure, there's just nothing you can do about it. If you're an offensive lineman, it's just going to hurt you, and there's going to be a sack allowed in your in your stat. But of course, we have media outlets like Pro Football Focus who grade players based on how they do specifically with, with with offensive linemen, but also, you know, if they allow a sack, is that really their fault? I mean, Mitchell Schwartz was the number two rated right tackle by Pro Football Focus, so that's something to consider with him as he is entering his first year with the Kansas City Chiefs. Jamal Charles may not be available going into Week 1. Is that going to matter a whole lot with the Kansas City Chiefs when they... Face the San Diego Chargers with the running backs that they'll have behind Jamal Charles. Keep in mind, the Chiefs did defeat the Chargers twice last year without Jamal Charles. I know the second time around, uh, the offensive effort was very lackluster, especially in the rushing department. Uh, But, hey, look, uh, you found a way to still win twice against uh, a Chargers team that might be very similar this year. And... You've got the same running backs, essentially. Uh, So the Kansas City Chiefs, I don't know if that's going to matter much if Jamal Charles misses the first game of the season. I said this in the offseason. If Jamal Charles doesn't rush for 1,000 yards, that's fine with me. I don't really want to see him rush for 1,000 yards. You know what you're going to get from Jamal Charles. This is now, I mean, especially with the injuries that he's dealt with in his career, I think you've got to go easy on him and not have him carry the ball so much you know what, Shark Kendrick West and Spencer Ware are capable of. You know, I, I guess you can between the three, maybe have it fifty, twenty-five, twenty-five. Give Jamal Charles fifty percent of the the load, and then split split it between Sharkhandrick West and Spencer Ware. Because let's face it, the more fresh that these guys are, the better it's going to be for your offense and the rushing attack. I know. In the NFL, you don't see a lot of run-first teams, but the Chiefs can still be a run-first team. And I know in the NFL, there aren't any more down-for-down backs, which is fine. You just adjust to the way things are going and changing in the game of football. So the Chiefs, if there are positions, I'll I'll go over the defense one more time. If there are positions where the Chiefs have a top-five player at that position, Eric Berry is certainly one of them. Tom Bahalli, Marcus Peter, or, pardon me, uh, and Derek Johnson. I think Marcus Peters, if he can prove himself against quality quarterbacks, I think he can definitely climb his way up uh, at that cornerback position. Dontari Poe and the rest of that defensive line. I mean, I mean, those are guys who are really good. I think they're definitely top ten guys. Maybe closing in on on top five. ...at their positions. As far as the offense, Jamal Charles is a top five running back. He may not have that statistically this year, but he could still be that top producer if he rotates actively with West and Ware. Anthony Sherman, I also think, is one of the better fullbacks in the NFL. I know not a lot of NFL teams have that. They put a tight end there instead. Uh, So not a lot of competition there at that position, but still... Even though the Chiefs have a fullback, and among the teams that also do, Sherman is one of the best out there. Travis Kelsey, I'll say the same thing about him. Uh, a top-five player at his position. I hope he can keep doing what he's done. Uh, this is the best tight end the Chiefs have had since Tony Moyaki and unfortunately, he couldn't even live up to his potential because of the injuries that, that derailed his career, really. Uh, so some might say Tony Mowiyaki and most might say Tony Gonzalez the best tight end the Chiefs have had since Gonzalez. Dimitri Harris and Travis Ross uh, those are also guys that I'm excited to see. Demetrius Harris played a lot last year on offense, was a big contributor for the Chiefs, and kind of has similar speed to Travis Kelsey. Travis Ross is a guy who I, I think is going to get more playing time. We'll see how, how things go for him. And James O'Shaughnessy drafted last year, who got a lot of face time as well, uh, also on the team too. Uh, offensive lineman, I think Eric Fisher could be a top-five tackle. He's certainly paid like a top tackle. Uh, and same with Mitchell Schwartz. So I think the Chiefs have two very good tackles on this football team. Now this is where things get interesting. Your wide receivers. We still remember a couple of years ago the Chiefs didn't throw a touchdown pass to a wide receiver. And things changed quite a bit last year when the Chiefs got going with Jeremy Macklin. Who was phenomenal. Of course a big, probably the biggest acquisition for the Chiefs ever since Andy Reid got here. I'll even say bigger than the Alex Smith trade. As far as behind Jeremy Macklin, who's your number two guy? Rod Streeter was just traded away recently to the 49ers. Is Albert Wilson a guy who you have a lot of confidence in? I mean, he's got great speed, as does Chris Conley and and rookie Tyreek Hill. And also uh, DeAnthony Thomas, who, you know, I, I really don't know what that was about last year where he was healthy, but was not part of the active 53-man roster. I just don't know what's going on with DeAnthony Thomas. I'm not quite sure who your true number two receiver will be in week one, and if it's going to be the same player in week 17. I think that's the biggest question mark with this football team, because let's be honest, Alex Smith, in the system that he's in with Andy Reid's offense, it's a pass-heavy offense. And Jamal Charles, he's a guy, of course, he's going to be catching a lot of passes. Same with Weston Ware. Uh, you know, Alex Smith, he, he he loves tight ends. Had a great run with uh, Vernon over in San Francisco. So you know him and Travis Kelsey are going to continue that rapport on the field. And of course, Jeremy Macklin, I, I think he and Alex Smith are going to do a lot of damage this year against opposing defenses. But... Listen, you're going to need another guy to step up, too. And don't get me wrong, I think Albert Wilson was a... He was a contributor at best to me. Chris Conley, a lot of people are expecting him to be the number two wide receiver for the Chiefs. Of course, people are talking about how he had a monster combine during his campaign, rookie campaign, before being drafted. But we haven't seen so much of that translate on the field. Now, of course... Something that stood out to a lot of people is Chris Conley did catch a touchdown pass in the playoff win over the Texans when Jeremy Macklin got hurt. He filled in for Jeremy Macklin and helped the Chiefs finish that drive with a touchdown reception. Tyreek Hill, listen, I like his speed. It's been talked about quite a lot this offseason, but he just had the most horrible preseason game against the Packers. Tyler Bray threw the wall to him. Right to his hands three times in the first half, all resulted in drops. And look, I know not every. How, how do I how do I word this? A lot because a lot of people feel like if a receiver has a hand on a football, he has to catch it, and that's truly not the case. A lot of times, passes can be super high, and yeah, sure, maybe you jump high and, and barely get a, a tip on that football, but doesn't mean it was a catchable ball, by all means. The passes Tyler Bray threw to, to Tyreek Hill were super catchable. And listen, I know a lot of people might say, well, why don't you go out there trying to get it? Well, I'm not the one getting paid a lot of money in the NFL. I mean, these guys are. And listen, in the NFL, you, you, people, we all saw how impatient fans got with Dwayne Bow when his drops just continued to be an issue. And I think the Chiefs were so patient with it over the years because who else would were they going to throw to? They didn't have anybody else. Listen, man, Tyreek Hill is going to have a very short career with the Kansas City Chiefs if he does not adjust those drops. Yeah, Listen, I know in the preseason we cannot take things too seriously, but things like drops, uh, those are red flags right there. I've got to say it, but... Hopefully he can erase that because this is also going to be your punt returner. That's a little alarming there. So hopefully he can fix things up with his hands and go out there and do what he needs to do. And speaking of what he needs to do, I know a lot of people criticize the Chiefs for drafting him. And I know on the broadcast they talked about this, the television broadcast, that he's come in. He's, he's done what the Chiefs have asked him to do in terms of getting help uh, off the field. So... uh listen i I'm certainly not uh, a a fan of what he's done or or anyone who in his position but I'm a fan of improving yeah you, you, you know listen just for thirty seconds i want to go on this topic for, for for a moment because I think sometimes we forget that we're we're not perfect i mean none of us are but at the same time I also understand that some people have done actions that are just not justifiable. Not, you can't justify it. Just like the situation with Tyreek Hill. Hopefully he's learned from that. All all you can say at this point, hopefully he's learned from that and he's getting the help he needs to never do that again. Now, is that going to be enough for fans to get behind him? I know some of you guys on social media have talked to me about this. Uh, Facebook.com slash Farzim Visugi and give it a like there. Also, follow me on Twitter and tweet me. At Farzine21, some of you guys, regardless, will not root for him. And I understand that. Uh, I really don't know where to stand on this. Again, like I said, I know I'm not perfect. I, I've never done some of the things that these NFL players have done, such as you know, domestic violence or, or driving under the influence. Uh, of course, bad things. But I, I I don't know. If it was me, I, I, I definitely would have... Been okay with him not being drafted. But the Chiefs and the NFL as a whole, they're not into the business of finding character guys. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, NFL teams love to talk about their players and how great characters they are. But at the end of the day, the NFL is a business and they want to find ways to win games. And the Chiefs believe that with Tyreek Hill's speed, they can find ways to win games on offense and on special teams. As far as... Tyreek Hill and his his responsibilities on special teams, it's going to be a little interesting because DeAnthony Thomas is still on this team. A guy who looked really good with the Chiefs a couple of years ago during his rookie season, but we haven't seen the same DeAnthony Thomas since then. And Look, the Chiefs have had some really good special teams guys. Uh, Jamal Charles, of course, during the brief time that he was a kick returner, Uh, He really excelled at that position. Uh, Dante Hall, we all remember what he did here in Kansas City. Dexter McCluster, I know uh, he got off to a a crazy start in that Monday night game against the Chargers in 2010. He went quiet for a while, but then he finally became a Pro Bowl punt returner. Uh, But the Chiefs did let him go and decided to draft DeAnthony Thomas to replace him. But DeAnthony Thomas hasn't been the Dexter McCluster or Darren Sprouls type of player that we've been wanting to see from him. And look, we all know Chip Kelly's willing to give up a first-round draft pick for any Oregon player that he coached in college, so why not use him as trade bait? I think the Chiefs are trying to do that. We'll see what happens before the trade deadline, but I think the Anthony Thomas is a guy, if he's very low in your depth chart as a wide receiver, and if he's not your primary return man, I don't know what his role is with the football team. That's something intriguing to me that sticks out with this offense. Seeing uh, D'Anthony Thomas low on the depth chart on on both the wide receivers and on special teams. As far as the offense overall, I think the offensive linemen can be good. I I think they will be good. It's just how reliable will Alex Smith be for the Chiefs? Can he throw the ball downfield like he did a few times last year? And again, how much of that was due to an easy schedule? And can he do that against tougher defenses? And on top of that, yes, you have Jeremy Macklin, Travis Kelsey, and Jamal Charles, who are, I mean, right there, that's a very strong wide receiver, tight end, running back trio. But even nowadays, maybe 10 years ago, you could have gotten away with a really top-notch running back, a top-notch tight end, and a top-notch wide receiver. But nowadays in the NFL, you've got to have viable targets all over the field. I'll say this, and I'll just use Chris Conley as an example because I think he's the most popular guy from Chiefs fans to be the number two wideout. If Chris Conley can be a true number two wide receiver, of course you have Jeremy Macklin opposite of him, and you have Travis Kelsey and Jamal Charles in that really talented and crowded backfield. I think Alex Smith has no excuses this year. I think the offensive line is going to be the the best group of offensive linemen he's had since 2013. Even then, the 2013 O-line wasn't that great. So hopefully this group can be even better. At this point, I don't know what excuse Alex Smith has. We made a lot of excuses for him in 2014 with the offensive linemen, and the wide receivers not doing a lot of uh, favors for him, but... 2014 was two years ago, and you've got a much different group of players on this offense than you did back then. And I think it's time for Alex Smith to really showcase what he's capable of. He's a very talented quarterback, and I know he hasn't had the best group of players around him. And some might say, hey, look, you you make the players around you better if you're a quarterback, which is true. But you can't have just a bunch of terrible players to be around either. I mean, you've got to have some help right next to you. And I think Alex Smith has that for sure this season. My biggest concern is the defense and whether or not that front seven can apply pressure. Because if they can do that, this is going to be a great football team who will compete with the Raiders to win the AFC West or possibly make the playoffs as a wildcard team. Real quickly, special teams. Niall Davis, I, I, he was on the chopping block, but survived it for right now. Uh, he's one of the better kick returners in the NFL. Tyreek Hill, yes, he's got a lot of speed, but a lot of punt returners do. I mean, there, there's no punt, there's no slow punt returner in the NFL. There really isn't. Some uh, are faster than others. I, I'll agree to that, but we'll see how things go with Tyreek Hill. Cairo Santos, I know, got off to one of the worst starts a kicker could ever get off to. But he's certainly improved a lot since then. And you also have Dustin Colquitt, who's one of the better punters in the NFL. So you know what you have right there. James Winchester as your long snapper. Made a couple of mistakes since uh, joining the Chiefs. But for the most part, he's been very consistent. So the Chiefs have uh, a good group of special teams players as well. So there you have it. That's the 53-man roster for the Kansas City Chiefs and my breakdown of it. Uh, I I think for the most part, a very good roster from top to bottom and a good coaching staff to go with it too. Of course, Andy Reid, we know he's been around the game for so long and uh, he's done a lot for the Chiefs. Uh, Brad Childress uh, of course had some success in Minnesota now as an offensive coordinator and he's, he's been very successful as an offensive coordinator too. Matt Nagy who's the co-offensive coordinator, which you don't see in the NFL these days, or ever really. He's the guy who's also going to be learning under Brad Childress, because let's be honest, I think Brad Childress is getting an NFL head coaching job very soon. He had one with Minnesota, again, uh, some some good and some bad over with the Vikings, but I think Brad Childress is capable of getting another head coaching job very soon in the NFL. So Matt Nagy could be your only offensive coordinator very soon, Uh, with the Chiefs, Bob Sutton, uh, a defensive coordinator who's been here uh, with Andy Reid and has done a great job, Dave Tobe, I've got to be honest, I'm surprised he did not get a head coaching job this past offseason, this could be his last year with the Chiefs too, Uh, a great special teams coordinator and uh, you know that block punt that you saw against the Packers, you know Dave Tobe does not want to see things like that at all. Uh, Dave Tobe has seen a lot of success with, uh, I should say the Chiefs have had a lot of success ever since Dave Tobe has come here on special teams, especially in the return game. So this could be his last year also with the Chiefs. I think Brad Childress and Dave Tobe uh, could be leaving very soon, getting head coaching jobs in 2017. So this is really the time for the Chiefs to make a championship run. You've got to be able to do it because these are assistants who could be moving on soon to bigger things and like I said you got guys like Derek Johnson and Tom Bahale. yes they have a couple of years left in their contracts but these are guys who may not have a lot of time left in the NFL in terms of how well they'll they'll perform sure they might have three years on their contracts but that doesn't mean they'll be top level linebackers for those three years and these linebackers have really been the bright spot for the Chiefs even during some of the bad years in uh, 2011 and 2012. And I'll say this. I still have not fully decided how many ones I think this Chiefs team is going to have. For the most part, I I've not been optimistic. You guys have heard that. I've looked through the schedule a few times and have Thought optimistically, then pessimistically, then kind of from a neutral standpoint as to how many wins I truly think this team can get. And it's a pretty hard thing to predict. I'll give you guys my prediction on the next podcast. I won't go game by game, but I'll tell you guys how many wins I think the Chiefs will get and whether or not I I, I think that this is a football team that can uh, step up and compete for that wide open division. A lot of people are saying that the AFC West is the most wide open division I do agree with that. I don't think the Broncos are going to compete much unless their defense can find a way to stay stout. As far as the Raiders, some people can some people are picking the Raiders as their dark horse team. A lot of people think they have another year left. Listen, man, if if you don't think the Raiders are going to be good this year, you are going to be in for a big surprise. This Raiders team has had a lot of talent over the years, and I think they finally have the right coaching staff and the right quarterback in Derek Carr to really run the tables in this division. I think it's going to be a division where the Chiefs, they can make a lot of noise too. The Chargers, of course, are going to be in the basement, but the Chiefs, I think, are a team that can make some noise, and they'll be very competitive. They haven't been dominant in the division for a very long time, not since 2003, so it's going to be nice if the Chiefs can finally do something. And or last year they were they, they were big in the division too. They they uh, swept the Raiders, swept the Chargers, and of course split with the Broncos. So they, of course, five and one. Yeah, they made some noise last year as well. So I think this is a, a great opportunity for the Chiefs to not only win the division, but of course go on that championship run. Uh, try to try to go for it and. Like I said, if if the Chiefs do make that big run, I think that's where a lot of these assistants, like Brad Childress and Dave Tobe, might move on. So this is an opportunity for the Chiefs to do something special. Real quickly, before we get to the around the NFL, out-of-bounds and penalty flag segments, I want to touch on fantasy football for a moment. I've played fantasy football. I'm not a huge fan. I'm not into it. I read somewhere a couple years ago that the average person spends 11 hours on their multiple fantasy football team. I've only had one fantasy football team every year. I've never been that guy that has uh, five different fantasy football teams and five different college basketball brackets picking a different team each time. I like to have just one prediction, one bracket, one fantasy football team, whatever. But even then, I just find myself... Not very passionate when it comes to fantasy football. And I'll, t- I'll tell you, I, I get it. You know, we can all have different tastes in movies and TV shows, books, whatever it may be, or sports even. You know, you might like hockey and I might love mixed martial arts. You know, we all have different tastes in different things. I, I, I can, I can be open to that. But what I cannot get is the obsession people have with fantasy football. The reason I despise fantasy football, and I, I'm not going to play fantasy football this year. And, and I know it's so big. There are there are magazines, there are podcasts, and radio not just radio shows, but radio stations dedicated just to fantasy football. There are even segments and TV shows on ESPN or Fox Sports, CBS, or whatever, just dedicated to fantasy football. The reason. I am so anti-fantasy football, and I, I'm not going to play it this year. Let's be honest, a lot of times you just find yourselves rooting for players that you truly would not root for. The only times I ever root for non-Chiefs players are former KU football players, which unfortunately there are a lot of them in the AFC West, in San Diego, and in Oakland, and Denver. Uh, So I root for those players, not necessarily for those teams, but you get the idea. You know, if you're a Nebraska fan, of course Nebraska produces a lot of good football players. Uh, You'll root for the Chiefs, and then you'll root for other Cornhuskers who are out there in the NFL, which is normal. The thing that I just hate about fantasy football is, let's say, I know that's not the case this year, but let's just say the Raiders and the Chiefs are playing each other in Week 16. Of course, I'll root for the Chiefs, always. But if the Chiefs are one game behind the Raiders in the AFC West, and the Raiders are in first place, Chiefs are in second place, again, like I said, one game apart going into Week 16. And if I have Derek Carr as my quarterback going into a Monday night football game, and I might need three touchdowns in order to win my championship, because let's face it, Week 16 is when a lot of leagues end. I don't want to root for Derek Carr to throw for three or four touchdowns to help me win my league just to have the Chiefs be knocked out of playoff contention. I I, I just don't like it. I, I think it's cool how people are more involved and are able to follow the game of football more, and I, I think it's nice to have the idea of being a general manager for your football team. That, that's pretty cool and all, but I just hate the idea of having to root for a player or a team that I might never even care to root for especially if it could do some damage to my team the Kansas City Chiefs I mean let's be honest if your quarterback is Carson Wentz and you're a Dallas Cowboys fan again this is a very hypothetical situation I'm just using those two teams because their rivalry is so big but if Carson Wentz is your quarterback, and you need him to throw a couple of touchdowns against your own Dallas Cowboys, which could possibly mean the Cowboys being eliminated from playoff contention. You would hate that. You don't know what to do there. I've never, I've never put money down on fantasy football. I, I really just don't see the point in that. For me, at least, uh, I'll be honest. I've always been that guy that's drafted. Players from the Chiefs, my favorite team, just because they, I, I don't know, that's just how it's been for me. I remember there was one game where I had Matt Castle and Dwayne Bow, and Castle connected three times with him in the end zone, which helped me out quite a bit, of course, points wise. But really, overall, the, the thing with me is I just cannot sit there and, and say to myself, oh man, I hope Derek Carr throws for three or four touchdowns against the Chiefs, and hopefully the Chiefs find a way to win. Like, let's be honest. Uh, that's Uh Unless it's a shootout, it's just not a realistic thing. I mean, you can't have it both ways. You really cannot. And that's a big reason as to why I... Ju- and the only reason why I don't like fantasy football. And for the first time ever, really, I- I'm just not going to play it this year. Let me know what you think. I really want to know if anyone has the same thoughts as I do with fantasy football. Uh, I mean, do you do you ever find yourself in that situation and thinking to yourself, ah, oh, man, now I have to p- choose whether or not I want my fantasy football team to win or my real football team to win? Let me know. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian, Twitter.com slash Farzine21. And as always, you guys can send me a Snapchat, uh, send a picture or a video to Farzine V, F A R Z I N V, and I will personally respond with a video snap. To you, Alright, let's go around the NFL. Listen, I, I give credit to PR guys because a lot of times they have to defend the team or, or, or try to bring good light in just really tough situations. And man, those 49ers PR guys, the 49ers are a mess from a PR standpoint. First you have this thing with Colin Kaepernick, and then there's... The fullback, Miller, who was released following his arrest on assault charges. I would hate to be a PR guy for the 49ers right now. I mean, that's not a fun place to be uh, with everything going on. The whole Colin Kaepernick situation, listen, I respect that he wants to take a stand for something. And I I understand there's a big issue with police brutality in, in our country and You know there are a lot of things going on with our country the reason this upcoming election is so huge and already a disappointment to some people because of the candidates is look there are a lot of things that our country is dealing with that need help and uh, need some sort of a solution and let's be honest police brutality is one of them and I have a lot of respect for police officers they do a lot for our community and look there's no question there are some good ones out there and some bad ones what Colin Kaepernick is doing in terms of not standing for the for the National I don't think that's a way to go about it man come on wearing uh, wearing, uh, socks that are insulting police officers calling them pigs look man uh, here's my thing I think he has to think to himself look is this going to offend or piss off people is this going to... Because, sure, if you follow the story closely, you know the story he's trying to relay. You know the message he's trying to send, but there are a lot of people who just read the headlines. They don't read the story. They don't actually listen to the pr- full pr- press conference. They don't listen to the details. A lot of veterans have come to his defense, too, which is very surprising for a lot of people. I understand what Colin Kaepernick is trying to do, and I, resp- I think it's great. We need someone uh, who's... Prominent in our world, a quarterback in the NFL, the 49ers, a historic team, historically successful team, making a stand, which is great. I just think this is the wrong action. And I'll say this: here's what's really bothered me is the media's focus on this so much. No one's getting hurt. No one's. No one. I mean, no one's dying here. He's just not standing for the national anthem. There are so many other issues that need attention th- that the media needs to address, like all these sexual assaults and DUIs that are happening with NFL players. How do we focus on that rather than a guy who just decided to sit during the anthem? Again, I don't agree with his actions, but it's not like something terrible is happening with other people. No one's getting hurt, no one's nothing bad has happened to anybody no one's physically being harmed there are just some emotional people who, who who don't like what he's doing and again I get that but there are far more important things the media should be focusing on with NFL players not what Colin Kaepernick is doing I just think there are bigger issues in the NFL right now there really are alright let's go out of bounds Alright, before I say anything, I just want to say I am a Kansas Jayhawks fan and a KU grad. So, if you're a KU fan and you get offended by what I'm about to say, well, just keep in mind I'm a KU fan. I'm about to say this. Right before the final, the football game went final for KU, I, I tweeted, I made a joke. I wasn't being serious when I asked this. I said, are KU fans going to rush the field for beating Rhode Island 55-6? And winning for the first time in 664 days, or 65 days, however many days it was. I was kidding when I asked that. I didn't think the, the fans were really going to rush the field, which they did. And the PA announcer was asked to say, Hey, please go back in respect to this program. Like, let's be honest. I mean, there's not a lot of respect for KU football these days. Uh, you know what bothers me is as a KU fan... I don't mind when people rush the court or rush the field. KU basketball fans, man, listen. KU basketball fans, they are anti-rushing the court. Anytime KU basketball loses to another team in a game, if it's on the road, of course fans are going to rush because they just beat one of the best programs in college basketball. You will not believe how many KU basketball fans get offended by this. They call it classless, they they get all mad, and they, they say, oh, they're just jealous because they're not us. Well, of course, that's why they rushed the field or the court against you guys. Remember when the Chiefs beat the Steelers in 2009, the defending Super Bowl champions? Remember how excited we got as Chiefs fans because we, don't, we were struggling that year. Same thing in 2011 when the Chiefs beat the Packers, who are unbeaten and reigning Super Bowl champions. Oh, by the way, they did it when Todd Haley got fired just six days prior to that. And they change quarterbacks at the same amount of days. Listen, man, sports fans get excited when they come up with an upset. So I'm fine with teams rushing the court against my basketball team, the Jayhawks. I mean, that's, that's what college kids like to do. They like to have a little fun. I just don't get why KU basketball fans get so sensitive over this. Yet... In football, they rushed the field when they finally win a Big 12 game, like they did against West Virginia, I think in 2013. And then in 20, what was it, 2014, they finally won their one and only Big Twelve game that year, and fans rushed the field against Iowa State. KU football has defeated teams who finished one place above them in the Big 12 standings. And KU football fans are rushing the field. First of all, you don't rush the field for being another crappy football team, okay? And on top of that, be consistent. I know that's asking a lot from sports fans, but come on, you're you're you're, you're so sensitive and you're anti-court storming, but you're you're rushing the field against when KU beats another bad football program. I mean, that's laughable. I posted this on my Facebook, my, my personal Facebook page. And you will not believe how many KU fans I offended with this. I mean, I'm a very outspoken person. Obviously, people who do radio shows and podcasts, a columnist, they're outspoken, obviously. I've got to say, man, uh, you you can't have it both ways. You just can't. And listen, I actually wish KU basketball fans would chill out and actually be would actually do a court storm every now and then. When? I think that it has to be a special occasion because listen, we are Kansas, we are a top-notch program. Maybe it should have happened last year against Kentucky in that crazy game and that went to overtime. I definitely think it should have happened in 2012 during that crazy comeback against Missouri. I think KU hey, really ugh. I was about to say KU basketball fans, but the basketball fans and football fans are the same. They're the same students. KU fans really need to let loose. And look, rush the field in football games, but only when you beat a quality opponent. A top 25 opponent. Not a team that finishes one place above you in the standings. Come on. Where's the common sense? I know common sense is so lost in sports, but is it that bad in Lawrence, Kansas? Come on, I don't want to have to throw my alma mater like this under the bus, but I have to. You cannot rush the field for beating Rhode Island. (laughs) Oh, man. Look, I mean, college kids should have fun. Rush the court, rush the field, as long as you're safe. KU fans attacked Kansas State fans for that court storming controversy a couple of years ago, and then they do this in football. Give me a break. Time for our last segment. It's time to throw some penalty flags. All right, my first penalty flag goes to good old Josh Bout. If you saw the Wisconsin-LSU game that kicked off college football this past weekend, a crazy weekend to start off college football, but on Saturday, this LSU Tiger lineman, oh man, uh, he had that late hit on the Wisconsin player who had the pick. Look, man, I know, uh, I know things can get emotional for football games, especially if you're on the losing end of an upset, but you cannot do that. Have some respect for the players. Have some respect for the game. Don't go out there and just nail someone out just because you did not do your foot job as a football team. You cannot go out there and just throw a cheap shot like that at somebody. He's lucky he's suspended for just one football game. This guy should be... Anyone who does something like this should be suspended really from college football entirely. I know what you're going to say. Oh, well, Farzine, these guys are kids. They're learning. Oh, come on. Look, I was that age too, alright? A lot of people were that age at one point in their life. A lot of people defend Giordano Ventura from the Royals for his actions the, involved in fights and how he, people defend him because he's in his late 20s. I'm in my 20s. I've never done things like that. I've never picked up fights with people. I know I'm not making millions of dollars like some of these guys are getting a free scholarship in playing football. Still, a lot of people are at that age, and they don't do the things that some of these people do. That's not an excuse. Come on. Okay, I'm a little late on this because the podcast was uh, on hiatus for a little bit, but I'm going to do it anyway just because that's really, really funny. Uh, of course, uh, Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz had a huge fight at UFC 202, a very the most anticipated rematch in UFC history. And I know Conor McGregor st- stepped on a lot of toes when he spoke about certain WWE wrestlers and what he said about them. Uh, somebody tweeted Chris Jericho, who's a well-known professional wrestler. He's he's in the industry for a long time, still is, which I did not know. And uh, somebody asked him if he watched the Diaz and McGregor fight, and right after it happened, someone asked him. He responded and said, "I don't watch that fake blank, that fake manure, that fake shoot. You got you got the idea. You know what word I'm trying to say? Uh, really, you're calling the UFC fake, and you're a pro wrestler?" What? Now look, I'm not the guy who says wrestling is fake. I I know if you think wrestling is just a a fake punch, I mean, you you clearly don't know what these pro wrestlers go through to put on a good show. I mean, it's pretty hard. The things they do from the top rope and on top of these cages and ladders and all these crazy things they do. I mean, you've got to be pretty athletic to do what a lot of these pro wrestlers do. So I'm not going to go out there and criticize and say, oh, well, well wrestling's fake altogether. It's scripted, yes, but the in- some of the injuries are real. Some of them, of course, are fake because these guys have some gigs with modeling or movies that they want to go pursue, which I get. Uh, but really, you're going to call the UFC fake when you know your industry is known for being fake? <laughs> I think uh, he uh, set himself up for that one. No doubt about it that'll do it for this edition of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Big thanks to you guys for downloading and listening to this edition of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Be sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Tell a friend about it. It's almost football season. Regular season's coming up. Excited about this. It's going to be a lot of fun to see how this Chiefs team does. I, I think, like I said, the expectations are high with Andy Reid going into his fourth year because not a lot of NFL coaches today get a fourth year with the team you heard the list earlier. And a 53 man roster, it's a it's a good roster to have, especially in the system that Andy Reid runs with the offense and the defense. They've been the bread and butter of this football team for a while, and hopefully they can come through even without Justin Houston for who knows how long. Hopefully soon, but obviously he's got to recover and be 100% because you don't want to make things worse for him during this recovery process. You don't want to bring him back too quickly. Thank you again for listening to the Chiefs One Podcast. I'm Farzine Vesugian. Like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. Follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Farzine21. Interact with me on there. Let's keep it going throughout the week. And, of course, let's do it on game day as well. I'm excited to interact with you guys. It should be a lot of fun. And like I said earlier in the show, let's go ahead and incorporate Snapchat into this podcast Add me on Snapchat, Farzine V, and if you tweet or send me a, a picture on Snapchat or a video of, of you listening to the podcast or, or of your computer screen, whatever it may be, I will personally respond with a video Snapchat right back to you. Again, I'm Farzine vasugan thanks again for listening to the Chiefs on Podcast. I'll talk to you this week when we do our first game preview of the season. Football season's just around the corner.